Everybody, it's Dr. Joe Armstrong. You're listening to The Moose Room. Thanks for being here this week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I suggest you do that. This is a two-part one. You're going to understand a lot more about what's going on in this episode if you listen to last week. We are jumping back into our conversation with Lisa Gretsch from Gretsch Dairy, and we're talking about robots. We're talking about sensors. We're talking about all the things that happen at Gretsch Dairy that make them successful. Again, thanks for listening, everybody. Let's get to it. So one of the things I've heard about, and and there's even been studies on it, you know, we talk about before robots and after robots, looking at did labor actually decrease, which (laughs) which we we know is not true, right? But but there are some benefits, right? And the thing that I consistently hear is that while you have probably the same amount of labor, it's a little different, but what you gain is flexibility, which is something that's kind of foreign to anything in the dairy industry. You know, usually it's, I got a milk here and here, and it doesn't matter what's going on. I got to be home. So have you seen that change things on the farm, that flexibility? Absolutely. There, that is, I, I know that is one of the top two things Steve and I would both mention. If you ask him and you ask myself, what's the best thing that's come out of this flexibility will be the first or second answer out of both of our mouths. And we've really tried to cross train all of our people so that we all know things happen, whether it's you know, family tragedy, something, something. So do you have two people trained on calves? You have two people trained here. So something happens to one person or the other, but that also helps in the flexibility of life, right? Somebody needs a little bit longer vacation. Somebody else has a a school event that happens and they're out of town for a few days, or, you know, we just sent our son and my nephew down to Iowa to a conference, you know, to have that flexibility to still get the work done, And it might be a little inconvenient for one person to do a job and a half versus just their own normal job. But the same is true then when they need time off. So um, the flexibility is amazing. And Steve and I have been able to take off and do things that we weren't able to do as easily because your labor is different. They're very precisely trained and they're very precisely placed and Yep, I'm much better with SOPs and some of the other stuff that you just didn't have time for in the parlor. You were just busy five hours here milking and six hours there of this. And yeah, I mean, traditionally, a dairy schedule is very unforgiving. When something goes wrong, man, it might not affect just that day. It might affect two, three, four days, weeks, even sometimes if something goes bad enough. Right. So obviously that can still happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen with robots, but I feel like when you have that flexibility, it's also a more forgiving day. You, you've got time to put your head down and get deal with some of these other things because you're not spending time in the parlor physically milking or pushing up feed because I, I know you guys have a, a robot that pushes feed up as well. So that's a huge piece that we probably don't talk about enough. And, and while I think it's really well established that labor doesn't change, these kind of things are huge for mental health, trying to manage all these different things that that dairy farmers deal with every day. Correct. I mean, there is, there's a lot of things that can go wrong in a hurry. Obviously when you have that many animals and you have facilities, whether it's a frozen water or something else in our lovely January of 2022. Oh, wow. But I would agree that Steve's flexibility for repairs and maintenance and those kind of things has been huge. Um, the amount of hours that he spends in the barn has been 
diminished by a lot from the parlor compared to now. And that gives him time to do, you know, meeting with the, the seed people that he's met with and our crop consultant and our manure management person. And, you know, there's so many other things that now you, you wonder why you don't have a, a nice big office built in down there too, because there's so many days that you're sitting by the kitchen counter with so many people, but um, but that's that's exactly it. There is a lot more flexibility for your other things that you have to get done. Let's talk about that service. You mentioned a little bit. One of the things that I I have a hard time getting a straight answer from from companies that provide robots is when and how old do the robots need to get before they're going to stop servicing those models? Because at some point it's going to happen. It has to, right? So how far out are they willing to take it? Have you thought about that at all? Does it kind of weigh on your mind? Is it always kind of on the back burner wondering when are they going to stop servicing my robot that's 10 years old already? Well, I, I definitely know that's been a conversation and, and as, of, as of recent, actually. Um, but if you think about what we have, we have the A3 next. Um, there's some A3s out there. I think the A2 that was in Wisconsin has been replaced now, I think, with A5s, right? Um, so then you have the so A3s, A3 next, the A4s, and the A5s are what's currently in the U.S., I believe. Agree with that? Okay. Um, so I guess I'm not yet um, because there are so many of the different models out there, and a lot of the arms are the same. A lot of the components are the same. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of third party people starting to create covers for these robots and all kinds of parts. So and, and farmers are always and have, and have always been good at making things work. So and Steve knows these robots inside out pretty much. And our son is getting better at fixing them as well. And they can find parts if they can't get them from Leadstone slash Laylee they can find them somewhere else. It's happened in a couple couple cases where I've, I've had dairy farmers that they need to get out of the business for whatever reason, and they think that they don't have any skills to enter the workforce. And it's, it's a ridiculous thought because the amount of times that you have to problem solve and figure something out, even just fixing anything mechanical in, in plumbing, anything, uh, dairy farmers have all those skills. So I love that answer. I think that uh, the third party stuff is huge and, yeah. and servicing your own robot is, is a big deal. I know you guys aren't probably too far from someone that can get to service, but you guys probably still do a lot of your own work on, on the robots, right? So why, why is that important? Why do you guys do your own work? You figure that out pretty early on that when, you know, not that your time isn't worth something, but we all know that when you bring someone in, they're going to have you know, three, four, five times what you feel is fair or that what you would get paid to do it. So I think, and, and to understand the machine. So at two in the morning, if you get a phone call and there's something that's going on down there, you can fix it without waiting an hour for someone to show up to fix it. Because if you can get it fixed in 20 minutes, you've saved yourself 40 minutes now that you can be milking those cows or milking with that particular robot. And that goes, that's holds true for tractors, TMRs, skid loaders, all that. Now there is a place for those maintenance. You know, we have uh, have them come in and do quarterly maintenance and keep up on all those wear parts that just get replaced with whether they look or, you know, that you would think they need replacing, just keep replacing them because it's a 24 hour, seven day a week job milking those cows and those machines just keep going. Yeah. Downtime's a killer, right? I mean, co cost of paying someone to fix it 
you can figure that out. But the how to figure out what it's cost you for that robot to be down an extra hour because you waited for the technician. That's that's what 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 really is the money behind this, right? You got cows waiting to get to that robot and they can't get milked. That has some downstream effects, right? They definitely have their time. You know, they they set up their own little schedule. And now if at 11 at night you're down and that's her normal time to get milked. Now, does she get pushed back when the 1130 cow comes in? Is she brave enough to push past or is she just going to wait till there's another opening at 1230? So now she's an hour and a half behind, right? If you look, I mean, these cows are pretty pretty consistent if they're two or three or four time a day milkers they're pretty consistent about what time they come in so if you mess with their time you know you're going to push that back and now when will she get milked or will she be a bossy enough cow to push in they they figure it out obviously you just got to let the machines do their job sometimes you have to walk away even though it's hard to know there are some cows out there that you could go get and push in but too many people in the barn mess with it too you just need to let them do what they know how to do all right, we got to get to one of Bradley's topics here because you've got <laughs> sen- you've got sensors on the farm. You have to in some way. So, Brad, yeah. you got any questions about sensors? Yeah. So, how, how how have they changed your thoughts on cows? You know, most of us were in tune to we got to watch the cows, see the cows, do all that stuff. So, are you becoming more of a computer farmer? Or are you still doing a lot of the physical stuff, watching cows, or is it? kind of a mix between that because I think some you get a, a wide range of people if they put sensors in they like want to walk away and only look at the computer screen and tell us tell you know tell me what I need to do so how, how do you manage that I feel like in our barn because we have four we have 260 cows we can and we have afforded to have that full-time herd manager down there and she is a great eyes on the cow kind of person Um, But for me and for Steve, we have learned how to look at the reports, look at the computer and notice cows and see cows that way. So I feel like it's got to be a combination of the two things. You can stare at that computer all day long, but if you don't see that that cow is limping, you know, I suppose you could see that her activity is going to move around. But that takes a little bit for the computer to catch up with that. But like I said, when my part-timers, they'll leave me a little note, so-and-so is limping or so-and-so had trouble getting up out of the stall. Is she starting with a little bit of milk fever? Does she, you know, is she just fresh? What's going on with her? You can't see a retained placenta from the computer. So there's a lot of things that you still need eyes on those cows. That's why I feel a person that puts in robots, but that is really a crop person, will still not achieve as much production slash success as someone who still has eyes in that building. I agree. And, and that's why some people have become, you know, disappointed in, in robots because uh, they think it's going to solve all their issues and they're not going to have to worry about the cows. And, you know, I've heard of some farms putting them in and then have ripped them back out. And so it's, it takes a little bit of management and a little bit of different thought to be able to, to manage that. But that's a management skill and a management type, should we say, because honestly, there are people that are amazing Tysel Barn managers. They just love those. They can tell by looking at her the way she's standing, what's going on with her. You know, those are the people that maybe are better in a, in a parlor setting because they can see her. They have to see her twice a day, three times a day. You know, you just have to know the kind of manager that you are or want to become. You can 
change management styles, I suppose. And I think that we have because we're more, like I said, looking at the computer more, trusting what our herd manager says. And that that's just part of the growing process over the last 10 years for us. If you think about in dairy perspective, future, future stuff, do you think that robots are a wave of the future? And should more people consider those? You know, there's a lot of farms that are outdated. Uh, is it a serious option that a lot of people should consider? Well, that, well, there's- I know that's a tough question. That's, yeah. a, that's a tough one. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into, and there's a lot of factors you should be looking at if you're considering them. I mean, for someone to say that every 50 cow or 60 cow farm that is considering a pre-sell barn should put in robots, well, again, are we talking management style? Maybe they aren't the crop guy, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the wife likes the cows and the guy likes the crops or vice versa. You got two brothers or something, you know, it really depends on your management style, but is the industry pushing more towards free cell barns and parlors and stuff versus tie cell barns. Unfortunately that, that I feel is pushing in that direction. You know, there's a lot of good tie cell barn managers out there that their cows are well taken care of. And I just don't know that that gets enough attention paid to that and enough admiration for what they put in and do for those cows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it was the right thing for our farm. Is it the right thing for somebody else's? I don't know. But we had a young couple here last week and we were talking robots. And of course, they're very nervous about the whole thing. And you just listen to them and they're want and and desire to continue they'll make it work you'll figure it out the investment's there if you're going to put in a parlor versus the robots and you're worried about the difference in money i think if you're determined you'll get it done and i think that's that's what has to be you have to be determined we we did this now we got to make it go right that seems to be most important and i i see that drive from the younger generation a lot of time and especially as in practice when we started talking robots usually not always, but usually there's someone thinking about coming back to the farm, trying to figure out how to be more flexible, have that work-life balance be a little different than the traditional dairy. And they're the ones pushing the robots. Did your, did your kids kind of start this whole thing or, or did you guys come up with it to, to begin with? Uh, well, it's kind of funny because when we did it, uh, there was a joke. We, our Matthew, I think, was one of them and Kate, those two probably, because Jen was all set on vet school and she was on her way. The joke was, well, if you put in robots, we'll come back home and farm. And I went, we are not doing this for you. We're doing it for us. And when you and if you come home, then we'll have to discuss life after that. But it had to be about us. It was about some freedoms for, you know, the sporting events and the activities and those kind of things. Don't get me wrong. That freed up some of that time. But we definitely didn't do it thinking, oh, well, if we do this, our kids will come home. That can be the drawing factor of getting a kid to come home and you have to decide what that's worth for your farm and your family. But it was a joke when we added ours for sure. Well, I, I like that you guys were were selfish on this this decision. On some 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 decisions you have to be. It has to be for you because you can't you can't know what that teenager is gonna do. Uh, I mean, I remember myself as a teenager. I had no idea what I was doing either. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry that one of your children became a veterinarian. She probably knows everything, knows it all. You know, my oldest is one of my resources that I use on a regular basis. And she- Boy, Joe's head just got really big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, and, and her being a veterinarian was since she was in third grade. Not kidding. She knew that's exactly what she wanted. I warned her of debt load and said if she wanted this, we'd stand behind her, support her. But she had to be ready to owe that because that's life. You go that route, you know where you're going. Like a doctor, like all those other second four years, you know, when you have to do eight years of college, you know, that whole deal. So I'm I couldn't be prouder of all three of our kids. You know, it doesn't matter how much education they have. It's the people they've become and the, the passion they have for the job they have. You know, I'm, I'm proud of that. I couldn't be more proud of my three kids. Our, our three children can't take credit for all, obviously, but God, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I was just commenting that, that you have a veterinarian. I'm glad that you use her as a resource and you use oh. her as a valuable part of the team. I've been trying to t tell these two that, that that's what veterinarians are for. But, uh, <laughs> well, the, uh, uh, advisory committee, our three kids are on this advisory committee. So they're definitely all part of conversations and where the farm, what changes and how they feel about it. And they see things we don't see. They read, Jen reads stuff I wouldn't even get a hold of. So they understand some things and how they see things differently than what I see things. So it's easy for me to stay on the same road don't take a left, don't take a right, because it's comfortable. You know, we've been doing this for 10 years, it's comfortable. Do we want to expand? Hmm, scares me a little, but you know what? Then we'll talk about it. Because you you can't stay stagnant. If you stay stagnant, I feel like you're just not gonna be here in 10 years or 20 years. I feel like your farm is gonna not be here. So you have to decide. And I was gonna ask a question about how your children stay involved on the farm because I know they're members of your board. And then you just said it. So there went my question. But you know, wanna reiterate what a great system I think that is. And and I've had Lisa speak at programs in the past, you know, specifically on that piece and that kind of thing. So and and you've already said a lot about it, Lisa, how you really value their perspective and getting that and you know, I wonder what what did your kids say when you first came up with this idea that, hey, we're going to put this, you know, advisory group together and you're all going to be on it. What what were their reactions to that? Well, I, I think they like we didn't really know what it was going to morph into. Um, but I think the hardest part was is to schedule meetings when Jen is out in New York. Um, that was the hardest part. So we did a little bit of that Zoom thing or whenever she was home or we would go out and visit, we would try and do one. And we learned that having a very set agenda was good. Like what's been happening, um, what's new, what's projected for a year, what's projected in three years, those kind of things. And it's amazing some of the ideas that, you know, they think of. And Steve is a big picture thinker. So he's always got the one year, the three year, the five year thoughts in his head. Not necessarily that he will share them with me because there's a cost behind each one of those things that I want validated that he doesn't <laughs> quite want to do that yet. But um, but there's always a, a thought and a forward thinking in his thought process. That's one thing I wanted to instill and have our children see, because for so many years, they were busy with high school and college and their their first jobs. And they didn't get to see how these how these um, thoughts and plans evolved and, and how we decided to build the freestyle barn, how we decided to add on to the freestyle barn, how why we decided to put the parlor in versus open step up parlor and, you know, all those things. And you go through all those things. So to have them hear his the way he thinks and then to help them develop that way of thinking and and the pros and cons to things and and then just batting it around the room you know to what jen thought versus what kate thought well kate's um got some 
uh, animal science and, and dairy science and that kind of background, just like Jen does. And, and Matt's got the construction side and the doer side. He's a doer, so a fixer, those kind of things. So, well, that would take a lot to build that and that would do this. And, you know, so they all have their input and, you know, we have to value the their opinions and their thoughts because if we want them to be here, they have to feel valued now. So then they now can reciprocate that when we are here and sharing our thoughts, because eventually they're going to ask for our opinions, right? Eventually. <laughs> so yeah, that's what's worked for us right now. Anyway. And I think it's so great because you're right. It, it kind of builds that buy-in with your kids, but at the same time, I, I know, you know, Jen and Kate, they're both out doing their things and, and working their full-time jobs and, and Matt's at the farm. But that way, even while they're out exploring other opportunities and doing other things, you're still keeping them, you know, very grounded and, and connected to the farm, which I think is so important and, and something I wish more farms would try to do, because I think a lot of times kids go to college, start jobs and they they can lose that connection and that buy-in and then you know they lose interest in coming back altogether. So I I think it's really great that you've thought about that and, and want to make sure that your kids really know what their options are. Well and I I, I probably I mean, we do texting back and forth and I will text a, a fun event that happened. You know, we had a set of twins of this and we do that and we try and keep them up on the day to day even, you know, milk prices down, milk check did this. You know, we hit these goals. Uh, like I said, Laylee just put out their numbers. They were the first people I emailed that information to because them being having pride in what they where they grew up and having pride in in dairy and having pride in just Stearns County, Minnesota, however you want to put it, that's important to me. Feeling that success is important, whether that's just a little part of that, whether it's because Jen helped me figure out a, a protocol for vaccines or or helped me figure out how to do some culturing or whatever, just to help help with that and be part of that success. Mm, that's so awesome. Love that. <laughs> you guys have a cell count that you guys installed on at least two of the robots, right? Correct. Dealing with the reagents and the expense of that and weighing that against the information you get, would you do it again? Let's go over the what we actually did. We have four robots, but we only installed on two. So we put one on the south and one on the north because cows have access to two robots on each side. So our thought process was let's invest half the money and see where it goes. Uh, we felt immediately it was an amazing tool to find some of these cows because we all know there's subclinical mastitis out there and you just don't even know where these high count cows are. Conductivity is still a really good tool and we use it in conjunction, I mean together, we use those two things. There are a number, several handfuls of cows that don't get tested over a week or two and then if you need that, you just push them into the other robot just to get their numbers. We do um, use it for selective dry off. So the cows all have to go through robot one, which has one of the testers on. And that helps us decide, should we treat her or not? Has she been treated this lactation? Has she had any issues with uh, any kind of mastitis stuff? Let's do some selective dry treatment. And it would be really nice to have somebody help me compile all those numbers to decide if it's really been a good thing. Um, we have decided to not selective dry treat in the winter, like now during spring as it starts to get wetter. 
I feel like we, we had more issues when they came in, a little higher conductivity, a little higher cell cone. But I have to admit, um, we're having a little more issues with those machines, with those testers now, almost a year later. The sensors are giving us issues. So Matthew and Steve have been working on that. And uh, that has been a harder part than buying the reagent. To me, it's, it's like anything else you put on the robot. It, it's like the scale. Yeah, you had to invest money in it, but isn't it helping you with something? The collars, yep, they're daily use, right? Well, same with the cell count testers. So I think it's a really good add-on, but now we're in a year, and like I said, we're dealing with some of the sensors. So I don't know where that goes, and I don't know um, what that means. And we had the joke with one of the repair, with one of the technicians up at Melrose that, God, you're one of the few that haven't called, called about that thing. And I'm like, well, it's because we fix it. <laughs> we, just, we just did it. You know, they just called Nate and got some information over the phone and took care of it. So and that's part of it, right? Repairing. And if they're going to continually have problems with the sensors, though, people will, you know, not want to put them in. But I, I don't regret putting them in. I don't know that we'll put the other two in, but I don't regret putting two in just because we saved half of the money. It was half the investment. Still getting, I believe, 90% of the cows are being tested regularly. Putting them in with pretty much a plan of how you're going to use the information is, is key. Mm -hmm. If you put it in just to get info and you don't have anything to do with it, it's like running a test without knowing what the results are going to change. But if you, if you think about everything on the robot that way, I love it. Scales are completely underrated, in my opinion. I love scales on, on anything, and I think we should be weighing our dairy cattle a lot more frequently, all the way down to calves, all the way through our, our mature cows. But you guys have a plan for what you do with the data, which is the most important piece of all of it. That takes time to develop that plan. So my best or my biggest advice to anybody just going into this, just learn the mechanics of the whole thing and the idea of know what to do every day, you know, which cows to get, which lists look at, and don't overwhelm yourself with all the data. Just let, get it started, get your feet wet, just step in a little at a time. You'll figure out which reports you need to look at, which ones are just fluff for a day when you're sitting by the computer and you don't want to go full laundry or something. Not that that ever happens to me, but um, it's one of those things that we have to learn how to use that data to better our herds. And I feel like we do that. Maybe we miss some of the marks that we should, but we we do try and we set goals every year. We try to try to go over those as long as we get past January. So the tax season stuff's done. So, okay, last question, then I'll let Emily wrap it up. Uh, let slip that you like working with calves, and I feel like that's that's somewhat rare. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of what you're talking about translates really well to working with calves. The details making sure that you're consistent. Kind of walk me through, well, first of all, why you like working with calves and how that kind of translates to the rest of the farm. You know, I've been on calves since I'm probably 10 years old. And I remember when, when I was 16 and my dad ever listens to this podcast, he'll laugh. He told me when I was 16 that I would make a great farmer's wife someday. And I laughed and I said, I am never marrying a farmer. So when we got married, we had a farm reception. Of course, Steve and I had to go in the barn because my dad couldn't take the night off, right? Because we were in a stall barn. So we had to go out there and, you know, make sure we thanked him for the, the advice of that farming and, you know, growing up this way and the whole bit. And that, yep, he was right. Had to marry a farmer. So um, because I was comfortable in it, you know, how do you not care for the babies? How do you not care for those? I understand losing patience with them. Completely get that. But there's still, there, 
their infants, right? And and aren't we? And don't you want to see them grow up and be a successful cow in your herd? So I'm very proud of the idea that if I stand in that barn, I can overlook that barn and know I fed every single one of those girls. The joke was one of my feed guys says, "You know why you have too many cows?" And I'm like, "Why? Well, Steve won't let me sell any." And he goes, "No, you don't let any die." So. You know, that's a good, that's was amazing thing for him to say to me. And I, I appreciate that. And we work really hard to get the colostrum in them and to do all that. And I, I do think that caring for those babies, for those infants calves is maybe who I am. And that resonates around. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do feel like if I have a little break from calves, caring for those infants calves in the calf barn is by far like one of my best days. As long as I'm not, you know, continuously, we don't have any time off. Time off is a necessity. You need to step away from your position for a little while to come back to appreciate it. And then you appreciate the people more that are doing your tasks while you're gone. Well, I think that is such a good place to wrap this episode. I, I love that. You're right. Taking time off is critical. And I will say, Again, I've been to Gretsch Dairy many times. Those calves are always looking good. They're clean, they're big, they're alert. Um, and especially when Lisa's in there, they are all eyes on her. They, they know who Lisa is. Really great to see. And Lisa, it has just been so much fun to, to have you on today. So thank you, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for the confidence to ask. Um, I have to admit, I was a little leery on the whole concept, and I think I told you that. But um, and that goes for for any anybody out there. Honestly, if anybody wants to chat about cows, calves, robots, Steve and I are both really open to that idea because so many people open their doors to us as well. So it's about helping each other to the next step, or maybe helping them not take the step if that's what's best for them and their farm. But we do want to reciprocate what we were, what people did for us when we started. Again, thanks so much for being here, Lisa. That is a wrap on this episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or skating rebuttals, you can email those to themoosroom at umn.edu. That's D-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. We also have a voicemail. So if you would like to call in and ask a question and then hear us answer your question on air, you can call that number, which is... 612-624-3610. Find us on Twitter at UMN Farm Safety and at UMN Newsroom. And be sure to visit our website, extension.umn.edu. That's a wrap. Bye. Bye.